You're listening to the Raptors Report Podcast. The Toronto Raptors take game four to even the series at two. With Josh Lewinberg and Ryan Wallstadt. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. And they stay there. Welcome to PSN's Raptors Report podcast. Josh Lewinberg, joined as always by Ryan Wolstad of the Toronto Sun. And Waz, the Toronto Raptors are two wins away from the NBA Finals. Two wins away from being four wins away, as I tweeted uh, on Monday night. And what a tweet it was. <laughs> it was. But, yeah, it's hard to believe. Uh, like, come on, man, no one saw this coming. Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan and the Raptors probably saw this coming or believed that it was possible, but and Dwayne Casey as well. But it's uh, shocking stuff. I mean, I always thought, I know a lot of people thought they'd be swept. I never thought they'd be swept. I thought they'd win a game for sure. But yeah, you I had them winning game three. Yeah. Uh, but how surprised were you to see them follow it up with a game four win? Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of kind of stunning but i mean this series is so weird the the home crowd is really screwing up the other team like each each home team has been way better than the other team it's just it's just bizarre i get why in toronto i mean in cleveland too it's a pretty good atmosphere and but the weird thing is the raptors have been a really good road team but they've just gotten killed in cleveland so you know tomorrow's game is going to be fascinating but yeah for them to be here Obviously, this is the most successful season by far in Raptors history, and it's, it's impressive stuff. And the one thing I always go back to, I mean, I wrote this story months ago, is the Raptors were on uh, their longest home winning streak in, in, in franchise history. Um, home court advantage is such a fascinating thing in, in the NBA and basketball because there's no tangible reason why it should make such a big difference, but in most cases it does. I mean, in baseball, you have the different field dimensions, so being used to your own is an advantage. And, of course, the home team bats second. In football, you have the noise that can really disrupt the play calling um, of the offense, but in the NBA, it, the, the offense and the defense, they're functioning at the, at the same time. You need to be able to hear um, for, for both. I, I mean, Biombo was talking yesterday about how loud it was, how he and Lowry couldn't hear each other. Uh, that, that shouldn't be an advantage for the home team, but I, again, like you said, they, they seem to feed off that crowd in five years of covering the team. I, I haven't missed a home game, and that was by far the loudest I've ever heard uh, that arena, the Air Canada Center, um, uh, crazy atmosphere. Um, and as you said, the, the games in Cleveland have been pretty crazy here too. So that, that's the question at this point. The Raptors clearly have some momentum. That is, if you believe momentum exists at this time of year. But will it travel now with them to Cleveland? Yeah, that's the, that's the tough thing. I don't really think it will. I think that, you know, maybe it'll at the beginning of the game – They'll have a bit of it, but I think Cleveland will find themselves at home just because they've been such a good team. I think there are some concerns, obviously. I mean, they can't they can't defend. Uh, that's that's the chief problem. They have no answers for the Raptors right now, which is kind of weird. Maybe it's not. But, I mean, you think when they take Kevin Love off the floor, they'll defend better, but no, they couldn't defend at all in the fourth. And now Love's a bit hurt. He's not hitting any shots. Kyrie Irving's obviously a terrible defender. J.R. Smith went from looking really great defensively in the first two games to brutal and 
you know, even LeBron, there was like the ballyhoo, though, LeBron's going to guard DeMar DeRozan and slow him down. Well, that didn't happen. DeMar no. had a huge game, and, and he hit, I think, five or six shots in the fourth. He was great, whether LeBron was on him or not. So, yeah, I mean, they do have the momentum, but I'm just not sure what – It'll be interesting to see how the crowd reacts. If they're, you know, one thing I liked about the Toronto crowd throughout these playoffs was every time the Raptors looked in trouble, the crowd really rallied. And like if they blow a big lead or if they look things would look dicey, the crowd would go nuts and try to hype them up. And I'm wondering if the Cleveland crowd, which was sort of waiting for the coronation in the first two games, if they'll be kind of worried and booing them if they don't start out too well, or if they'll be that supportive sort of team right from the jump. I'm glad you mentioned the Cleveland defense, because for me, I mean, that's the takeaway here, and maybe something that we forgot about um, as we sort of got lost in the way the Cavaliers were just dominating through the first two rounds of the playoffs. Most of that was on the offensive end, uh, the red-hot three-point shooting, the fact that obviously they have LeBron who can basically get to the rim at will, but lost in all of that is the fact that they're not that great of a defensive team, and certainly when you compare them to the teams that the Raptors have already seen in the playoffs, the Indiana Pacers, a top-five defensive team, the Miami Heat, a top-five defensive team with great perimeter defenders, um, an experienced group on that end of the floor. That I mean, they weren't big teams, but they did a pretty good job of packing the paint and uh, clearly frustrating Lowry and DeRozan. Um, this Cavaliers team is a lot different, as you mentioned. Um, the, probably the two most crucial positions um, defensively in the NBA are the point guard position and, and your, your your big guys, the the center. And uh, the, the Cavs are a small team. They don't really have a, a true shot blocker. And obviously Kevin Love, the four, is not a very good interior defender. And, and then you have Kyrie Irving, one of the worst defensive point guards in the NBA. So Kyle Lowry, after struggling in the first two games, he's having his way with Kyrie. Um, love is stopping nobody, and as you mentioned, if you're able to uh, stop, Le- not be a defender either. Yeah, I mean, the biggest reason why the Cavs made their adjustment in making LeBron the primary defender on on Demar is because DeRozan goes off in Game Three against J.R. Smith. I mean, outside of LeBron, the Cavs don't have anyone as, as solid as. Shumpert is, he's undersized, as improved as J.R. Smith is defensively. He's no Paul George or even Luol Deng. So, I mean, DeRozan's gotten in rhythm, Lowry's gotten in rhythm, and LeBron, his strength um, defensively, going back to the whole um, ghost defender thing of a few years ago, uh, he's so good at anticipating um, passes, getting the passing lane, disrupting the defense as, as a guy that roams and is sort of the free safety out there when he has to lock in on one guy, and especially when that one guy in DeMar does pretty darn good against him, uh, the, the Cavs, all of a sudden, they're a weakened defensive team. Yeah, so it's that's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, you have to think Cleveland will start hitting threes again. I mean, they've been so streaky, but it's just there's been some weird things, like LeBron not you know, being so passive, he didn't attempt a field goal in the last three minutes of the game, even with Kyle Lowry on him a bunch of times. Like, that was crazy. He, I think he only attempted a couple in the last five minutes of the game. Like, it was just, for a guy that smart, it was just weird that he was just sort of, I know there's always been things where people say, well, mentally that's the, the weakest part of his game. And yeah. sometimes, you know, he'll he'll have these brain cramps uh, in the clutch. And maybe that, I don't know, it was weird. But I, that's why I'm kind of expecting him to rally in, 
in the next game, and, and that's why the Raptors are going to have to keep it close because I think there's a potential for a blowout if, if they let the Cavs get some momentum, but there's also a potential to you know, put another scare into them because right now the Cavs are a bit fragile, so it's kind of working both ways. Yeah, I, I think the Raptors have keyed in on, on something here in, in terms of the, the – priority of stopping Kyrie and Love maybe before even slowing down LeBron because as you mentioned LeBron has always been that guy that sort of looks to defer Um, it's a strength it's a weakness I I think a lot of the time more more than anything else it it just depends on the other guys if they're playing as well as Kyrie and Love were playing through the first two games of the series then all of a sudden LeBron and and his unselfishness is, is such a strength but the second um, his weapons are neutralized, then all of a sudden that's then uh, a weakness. So if you can slow down Kyrie and Love, obviously easier said than done, especially with Kyrie, who, who did turn it back on in the second half of Game 4, you're in a much better place. Um, I, I'm okay if I'm the Raptors with letting J.R. Smith shoot whatever it was in Game 3, 16 shots, most of them threes. Um, LeBron, as long as he's not taking over the game, that that's the best way to beat this Cleveland team. Um, it's interesting. I think the biggest difference between what we saw from both teams in Cleveland versus what we saw from them in Toronto, I mean, the Cavs look nothing like the Cavs in Toronto. The, the Raptors look nothing like the Raptors in, in Cleveland. Um, and, and that's something that Biombo talked about. I think Casey talked about it after Game 4. The biggest thing that they have to try and um, – they have to try to do in, in Game 5 is continue to be themselves. Uh, they got away from what they do defensively, um, how they like to keep teams uh, out of the paint, protect the rim first and foremost. Um, offensively, they got away from doing what they like to do in, in Games 1 and 2. Ultimately, it's going to come down to who can control the tempo and who can control the pace. Okay, so a question for you. Is there a way to work uh, Jonas Valanciunas back in? I mean, there were some interesting things. They didn't really have a backup center in the last game. I guess Pat might have played it a bit, JJ a bit. Yeah. Is there a way to work him back? Is there any way to start him and Bismack? I mean, I don't really see that. But, like, how do you work him back into this series? No, well, I mean, th- th- those two haven't played a minute together yeah. all season. They won't play a minute together. Um, I, I think in theory where Valanciunas can really help you, even if he's not at 100%, even if they're easing him in, is, as you mentioned, is that backup center in the 10 to 15 minutes where Biombo isn't on the floor, I thought, in the past. I, I'm not, not so much against... for 42 minutes <laughs> the last game. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, they're working him to the bone right now because they yeah. need him. Um, yeah. I, I don't think there was as much of a drop-off when Biombo went to the bench in Game 4, because as you mentioned, uh, J.J. did a pretty solid job. Pat had a really good game, um, I thought. But over the last two weeks, as J.V. has been out, as great as Biombo has been, it's those minutes where he goes to the bench where you don't have a backup center and you turn to um, overextending Scola or, or Jason Thompson in, in, in the last series. Those are the minutes that really hurt you. So if you can get... 10 to 15 solid minutes from Valanciunas at a time in which it doesn't hurt you in terms of the matchup, then I think that that's really where you'd benefit from having him back. The question is, of, of course, and this goes back, I guess, to what you asked, is is where do you fit him in? 
Um, clearly, Cleveland has locked in on, on something where uh, when they go small with their shooters, uh, Love at the four, or even Richard Jefferson is a stretch four with Channing Frye, um, it, it's tough for Biombo to get out there and, and close out on those guys, let alone Valanchunas, who's slower than Biombo at the best of times, not to mention now that he's dealing with the, the ankle issue. So I, I don't think you can have uh, Valanchunas on the floor when the Cavs go small like that, you're also probably not starting him, so your best opportunity is if the Cleveland rotation remains the way it was in Game 4, is if they go back to Tristan to begin the second quarter, that's where you can probably get some minutes from Valanchunas, assuming he actually is healthy and this isn't just a misdirect from Dwayne Casey and the Raptors, which wouldn't surprise me. I think he's okay. I mean, from what he said to us, he said he feels great. From seeing him walking around and running, he looks much better. I mean, I don't smoke think they, and mirrors was. I know, I know, but <laughs> I <laughs> no, I'm kidding. They, I think the last game was more the intimidation factor. Oh, look, he's back. Yeah, give a psychological edge. Well, Tyron Lewis said that they weren't even preparing for him yeah, earlier yeah. in the series, he right? Still not. He said today they're still not until they see him on the court. They're still not really preparing. So that could be an edge for the Raptors. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I mean, maybe. You could even, obviously, yeah, Tristan's the guy that you'd want him up against, but maybe even you can try him against Love if Love is hobbled by an ankle injury, too. Maybe that you could try it out for a minute or two and see if it works, and if you get burned, then you you go away from it. But Love's not the fleetest guy either, and if he's got a bad, a bum ankle, then you know maybe that's something that would work. No, but I mean, I don't think it's the speed of Love that necessarily concerns you in a potential matchup with Valanchunas. It's just the fact that he's going to be out there at the three-point line, which is not where JV feels comfortable and probably not where you want him if he's out on the floor. It negates any advantage um, that he gives you around the rim and on the boards. And the problem, of course, is, I mean, this was always going to be an interesting matchup for for me with, with Valanchunas going up against the Cavaliers, even before the injury and looking ahead to a potential uh, Eastern Conference Finals with Cleveland, because it's not a great matchup for him. Um, but this would have tested how he'd fare in, in a matchup that, that wasn't especially favorable, given how strong he was playing before he went down, if those advantages that he gives you offensively could outweigh anything that he gives up on the defensive end. But now that he is hobbled, that he's clearly not 100%, probably not close to it, probably wouldn't be playing or be available if this was the regular season, um, I'm not sure that he'd give you enough offensively that he'd be able to dominate that way he was before he went down enough so that you can say, well, we'll live with whatever... Cleveland gets on, on on their end. Yeah, it's it's it'll be interesting. I like the idea of that second quarter, maybe even the last few minutes of the first. Give Biombo a little break, and and then see what happens. But as you said, uh, James Johnson's played some good minutes for them too. So maybe it's truthers rejoice. Terrence Ross only played seven minutes in the last game. It's just you know they're they're doing some. We're seeing some different things, and a lot of it is you know three guys playing over 40 minutes and Patrick Patterson playing 34. I mean, it's it's cutting down everyone else's minutes. Even Corey Joseph, who was solid again, only played 16 minutes, which is way down for him, and he was solid. The he easy thing plays. to do if you're a head coach, I mean, is just run out the same lineup every day, every game, especially if it's working well. Um, 
credit where it's due here. Casey, as you mentioned, he's used a lot of different lineups, a lot of different uh, looks in the rotation. And the Raptors have adjusted as they've needed to throughout the playoffs, um, I, I think for a number of reasons. This coaching staff has done a tremendous job. You look at the resiliency, the fact that they've remained composed throughout all of this after losing games one and two of the Eastern Conference Final, a stage that most of these guys have never been on by a combined 50 points. Um, in addition, obviously, to the leadership that Lowry and DeRozan have shown on the court, how about Casey, who has won a championship with Dallas, uh, Rex Kalamian, who has been here with OKC before, um, they've, they've done an excellent job, and I think they're the biggest reason. I mean, hey, when you have a team that's able to hang in there like they have, able to um, believe in themselves when no one, whether they're in Toronto, in, in Canada, or throughout the NBA, believed that this team could even take a game in this series, um, that's on the coaches in the same way that we would probably criticize them if, if things weren't going the way that they are, if things weren't going right, if the Raptors ended up losing in the first round, as most people feared. Um, you've got to give them the credit that they've earned, that they deserve after um, tying the Eastern Conference Finals at two, uh, at two games apiece. Yeah, well, they've done a fantastic job. They're all going to get nice raises and well-deserved, I mean... Casey's a guy that how many times has he been under fire and he's come through with with you know some really strong performances, some great adjustments, you know great out of time out plays, everything you know people might have gone on him for in the past. He's come through and as you know he obviously didn't have a good series against Washington last year and neither did anyone on the Raptors, but he's bounced back with like the team spectacularly this year. And it's amazing. I mean. They're all like that. It, listening to you talk about Dwayne Casey there, you, the same could be said about Kyle Lowry. How many yeah. times has he been counted out? How many times has he had to fight for his life, for his reputation? Um, DeMar DeRozan, all these guys, Bismack Biombo after being the forgotten man in Charlotte for, for four years. It, maybe we shouldn't be surprised every time they take a hit every time they go down in the series, lose game one, or in this case, lose game two as well, and then come back strong. It's become the personality of this team, the DNA. Um, they, they love being the underdogs. They love being counted out, and it's because they have been so many times in their career. This is a fascinating matchup in, in that way as well because you look at LeBron James, even Kyrie Irving, these are first overall picks that have come into the league as – um, sort of already anointed superstars as phenoms. Um, not the case with Lowry and DeRozan. They're self-made all-stars. They've had to work for everything, not to say that Kyrie and LeBron haven't worked hard, but it's a very different career arc for the Raptors superstars versus the Cavs sorry, sorry, superstars. The, the Raptors stars, I don't want to get ahead of myself, and the Cavs stars um, but there they were in, in Game 4, going toe-to-toe, head-to-head in, in the fourth quarter. It, it, was, it was something to watch. And, I mean, I, you can, I know Jack Armstrong on the broadcast kind of made this comparison, and I did, I did a little topper, a little note on it in my stuff for tomorrow's paper. I mean, you can compare them a bit to the, the Pistons of 4 Obviously, they're not as yep. good, but it's like a bunch of guys that – some of them cast-offs, like Ben Wallace was a cast-off. Chauncey Billups, very similar career as Kyle. I believe went seven years like Kyle before becoming an all-star on multiple teams. You know, the Ben Wallace, everyone 
and Charlotte was hoping Biombo would be a Ben Wallace type, and now he's starting to show some of those things. Obviously, these guys aren't quite as good as those guys, but there's similarities. Even a DeRozan, a sort of a Rip Hamilton guy that runs a ton every game, yeah. like barely anyone in the league runs as much as either of those guys, and doesn't shoot threes. You know, there's similarities there. Great jump shooter, great mid-range. There's a lot of similarities with these teams. And, you know, everyone... If you don't have that super, you know, megastar, a Russell Westbrook, a Kevin Durant, a LeBron James, a Steph Curry, you know, the other model is you build a bunch of really good guys around each other. And, you know, that's kind of what the Raptors are trying to do. And we'll see where it takes them. But it's already taken them to uh, higher, you know, to, to better places than any other Raptor team's ever been. I love that comparison. And I think this team, I mean, a couple of years ago, as much as I mean, it was it was always talked about the idea of okay, well, you don't have a superstar, so build build your team like that Detroit Pistons uh, group. Uh, they've always sort of been, and since winning the, winning that championship and competing in the Eastern Conference, as much as they they did, as long as they did, they've sort of been the model for um, teams building without a superstar. That it can be done, that it has been done, but it would have been laughable with this Raptors team even a year ago just because so much of what that Pistons team brought to the table was toughness. They backed down from nobody. Uh, A lot of that had to do with Ben and and Rasheed Wallace, obviously, but Billups, Hamilton, all those guys were pretty tough. Tayshaun Prince. Um, And to me, I mean, we we started off this podcast talking about how the Raptors are, are two wins away from the NBA final. And if you're a Raptors fan, if you've been covering this team, if you're familiar with their history at all, the idea that they are two wins away from the NBA Finals, whether you believe it's going to happen or not, is, is crazy. Um, but for me, as much as, as how crazy that is, to think about how they're doing it with their physicality, with the toughness, both mentally and physically, that I never thought we'd see from this team. For so many years, they were a doormat. Um, they were a team that opponents would have circled on the schedule um, not not always because they were bad, but because they were perceived as being soft. Last year, as good as they were during the regular season, they were perceived as being soft. Um, this season, it's been a completely different story, and I think a lot of that has to do with Bismack Biombo, of course, the other additions in Corey Joseph and, and Damari Carroll, Luis Scola as well ha- have helped a great deal in terms of the toughness. Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, the fact that they've had great seasons has helped. Um, But they're not backing down. Um, I love the comparison with Biombo and Ben Wallace. Uh, I know Casey compared Biombo to Dennis Rodman. Um, I think Ben Wallace fits a whole lot better in the way that he's able to impact the game um, with his rim protection at undersized at 6'9". Of course, he has that wingspan, but um, he changes just about every shot down there, whether he blocks it or, or not. And to me, that, that reminds me a lot of what made Ben Wallace a great player. But apparently he, he didn't get permission from Dikembe oh, Mutombo to do the finger wag. I was watching that with Gumby uh, earlier when we arrived in Cleveland. And, yeah, it's interesting, but I don't know. Dikembe was all over the place with that. It was kind of like he didn't really care. He said, let the young man have his time or something. You know, he said, he said we'll talk in the summer, but whatever. No, nah, really business to get it in writing. He didn't say, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> did, wait, so, so did, did Dikembe finger wag Biombo's finger wag? I guess he did. <laughs> yeah. All right, how about an ask one ask was from uh, our boy Matty B from our Tuesday 
basketball run, Matthew Bernstein. He says, um, why? and we kind of talked about this a little bit off the top, but why did LeBron keep passing out of the post against Lowry instead of making a move before the double team came? Might go back to what we were talking about. I, I think it's in his DNA yeah. to be a playmaker, um, that he's unselfish to a fault. He's always been unselfish to a fault. And like I said, I think that's his biggest strength when he has the weapons around him that, that can take over a game the way that he does now. I mean, going back to his, his first stint in Cleveland when he was surrounded by the likes of uh, Booby Gibson and Larry Hughes, whatever else was on that roster, just a terrible team that he carried to the finals one year, um, that passiveness was a, a weakness, um, a, a legitimate weakness. Uh, now... I think it's a big part of the reason why this team has had so much success over the last two years because Kyrie and Love are great players. They're great offensive players, and LeBron trusts them, and he should. But when those guys are not playing well or at end-of-game scenarios where LeBron is still your best bet to, to get you a bucket, that can still hurt you. Um, so if you're the Raptors, that's what you have to focus on right now going forward into this series, uh, find a way to get Love and Kyrie out of the game, force LeBron to wrestle with that sort of internal dilemma of being the guy and being the playmaker, make him make that decision and make him beat you without the help of all those other guys. Yeah, exactly. You got anything else? I got nothing. (laughs) I didn't even know your money in the casino in Cleveland. Ah, uh, yes. Well, outside of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I declined to um, go to the last time we were here, and the casino, which uh, I should have declined to go to the last time we were here, I'm not sure there's much to do here in Cleveland. But now I know where not to eat after my uh, bout of food poisoning um, just ahead of game one. Yes. Probably shouldn't say the name, but I would agree. <laughs> But food poisoning, that's like chicken pox, right? I can't get that again. <laughs> I don't know. We saw you, I saw you in Mexico City, so I'm <laughs> not, sure. not sure on that one. On that note, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, perhaps to talk about the end of what has been a great Raptors season, perhaps to talk about the Raptors and the NBA final. Finals. The finals, two games away from being four games away. There it is. What a time, as they say. This has been TSN's Raptors Report Podcast. Thanks for listening. J. Lou out and the Waz out from Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs>